0: Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. And guys, we got an episode ahead of us. Some things happened. I don't even, I don't know. There's no banter. No banter this week. Just get right into what everybody came here for. Pat Vileka hit a home run this week.
1: Thought. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was amazing. It was really remarkable. Patty but, B. Patty B. He did do it. That's what we came here
0: for. No, no, what What everybody wants to talk about, it's it's momentous, historic, first time in any of our lifetimes that it's happened. The Orioles have a no-hitter. John Means, the ace of all aces, he did it. And where were you when it happened? Eli, I'm sure you were just, you were, you were strapped in, you were going to, you know, nine innings of this beautiful pitching. You're a former pitcher yourself. Where were you in this moment? I was absolutely locked into the back of my eyelids. Oh my um, God.
2: Yeah, so I worked from 6pm to 6am the night before, and then I had to stay up for a couple hours to get my second dose of the COVID vaccine, and then I got home, ate some food, and about like 1, 2 o'clock, I went to bed, and I missed everything.
1: It was just...
0: Excuses.
2: Indefensible. Is, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, my duties as an Orioles fan were neglected this day. I have nothing
0: to say. Yeah, it's inexcusable. Jesse, what do you Jesse, what do you want to add?
1: <laughs> well well yeah, I was in class, uh, but I did see the ninth inning. So and uh at the beginning of the game I was following it on uh game track, uh and then like very early in the game I like turned it off uh uh-huh. to Focus more on class. Then after I got finished class, I saw your text and (laughs) ran down to turn on the game. So would you would you have turned it on if I hadn't texted you guys that something was happening? Probably not. I was like in a different headspace at that point, like Uh coming out of class, you know. So
0: it is very Orioles for something so momentous to happen during a day game in the middle of the week that. Probably didn't have a huge TV audience for the Wednesday afternoon, (laughs) of course. Yeah, (laughs) on the on the
1: West Coast, right? Unreal. The the Mariner fans got to see something special. So the the few that were in attendance,
0: Uh, John Means did say like the fans were kind of giving him some juice and stuff. So that's pretty cool. And it is nice that it happened in a year with fans back in the stands versus you know last year where it would have been silence pretty much. Uh, It's a bummer it wasn't at Camden Yards, but it's still cool that it that it happened because the Orioles got no hit at Camden Yards a couple or at um, Safeco a couple years ago or whatever the hell it's called T-Mobile Park mm. uh, a couple. Safeco was a really great name and then
2: T-Mobile Park just doesn't do it for me I just have to throw that <laughs> well, out is there. That, is
0: it just a great name though because that was like the name of your childhood because it's still a brand right yeah but I, I still think it sounds good
2: I, I don't know I don't yeah. know it sounds better than T-Mobile Park
1: but yeah, as as Yards, so. not as good as Camden mm-hmm. Yards
2: not as good as Camden Yards Definitely better than U.S. Guaranteed
0: right field, though. That's the worst one. And, and the Lone Depot uh, <laughs> yeah. Marlins Park is awful, too. Okay, well, let's talk. Let's get into the mean start a little bit, because not, even though we didn't all get to watch every pitch, I was working when it happened. I did have it up on my phone while I was doing stuff on the computer, so I watched most of it, but didn't get to see every single pitch. Now that we've had some time to kind of go back, maybe and analyze a little bit, what happened. Do we just have any sort of like general thoughts on how Means achieved this feat? You know, did you expect this to happen? You know, Eli, I don't know, you're as the as the former pitcher on staff, sort of what are your what's your reaction to John Means throwing this monumentous no hitter?
2: I think it's really, you know, it just shows the evolution of him as a pitcher. He's never prior to the start gone more than seven innings in a game. And I think a large part of that was he was And we've talked about this a couple times, but he was a two-dimensional pitcher. He had his fastball changeup combination. And this year, the slider has been on, the curveball has been on. He's worked really hard developing both of those pitches. And in order to get through a lineup three times unscathed, you really need to be able to give hitters different looks. You need to be able to change pitch sequences. Credit to Pedro Severino for calling a really good game. Yeah, he just did a phenomenal job of keeping people off balance. On top of that, his stuff just looks really good this year. If you check out the Baseball Savant page, John Means' changeup is actually the number two pitch in baseball in terms of run value, only behind Trevor Bauer's four seam Bauer of the Cy Young Award last year. So I, you know he's throwing at a really really elite level right now, and the no hitter is the big flashy sign over the top of this performance, but. He's been doing it all year, as we've been talking about. This is hardly hardly a breakout. This is just the culmination of what has been a couple of good months of really,
0: really impressive pitching. Yeah, and you said it there. You know, it's it is a no hitter. It'll go down as a no hitter. It was not a perfect game, but it's the only no hitter of its kind in Major League Baseball where he didn't walk anybody, he didn't hit anybody, no runners uh, made made it onto the onto the bases via an error. The only runner got on because of a dropped third strike and he was then thrown out on the bases trying to steal so he only faced 27, 27 batters so it's it's a totally unique event in major league history uh but jesse i don't know what did you see that makes makes this so special and is this something you were kind of expecting from means
1: well i mean it, it definitely wasn't on my radar you know i wasn't thinking about oh well means has looked so good that he could throw no hitter but definitely in hindsight he's been dominant enough where if we had been thinking about it This should have been something that we had entertained as possible. And and it's clear that uh, exactly like Eli was saying, it goes to show just how much he has leveled up his game, particularly this season, but last season too, taking some steps forward, some strides forward, continuing to develop his more secondary pitches. Absolutely incredible start. How he made it look so effortless. He was just attacking the strike zone. I think he threw first pitch strikes to all except one hitter in the game. Exactly right. So, I mean, that is that is remarkable. Uh, Just the amount of focus uh, that that requires to be able to do that. I mean, there's so many times pitchers get comfortable and they they just let one go. And, you know, that didn't happen at all in the game. He was very precise, pitched an excellent game. And uh, it just goes to show kind of exactly how uh, his game has developed in the recent months.
0: Yeah, I saw a tweet. Uh, somebody, I don't know who tweeted it out, but they were looking back at old Orioles, like top 30 prospect lists on MLB pipeline. And I think means topped out at like the 28th best prospect in the Orioles system, you know, prior to coming up. And everybody knows the story now a couple years ago in 2018 means was like thinking about quitting baseball. He made a LinkedIn page. He was really going, to, I don't know what he, what, what career he was going for, but he was kind of done with baseball. His dad apparently talked him out of it and uh, convinced him to give it another go his dad passed away last year, and then now this year he throws a no hitter, and I, this the the sky is the limit for John Means right now. It's been incredible. He he's got good velocity. He's got a riding fastball. That changeup, as Eli said, is absolutely elite. One of the best pitches in baseball. And this is now like twelve or thirteen. This you know the no hitter is the best one yet, but this is like twelve or thirteen incredible starts for John Means in a row. He has like a 1.5 ERA over his last Baker's dozen worth of uh, starts. I mean, that's not fluky. That's not like he's legitimately one of the best pitchers in baseball right now. Can you argue with that statement? Yeah, there's there's no way to argue with it. I
2: I don't think that anybody ever saw this coming. Kind of like you said, you see all these articles about how he's been overlooked, how he's been XYZ. I mean, he has been even to Orioles fans, you know, like I pride myself on, taking good looks at pitchers and determining who I think will be successful. He was never on the list. <laughs> you know, obviously he got in the, got in the shop with Chris Holt. They developed that change up uh, over the 2018, 2019 off season. It became one hell of a weapon. And I thought he was kind of a one trick pony and had his phenomenal year. And then when he started struggling at the beginning of last year, I kind of was like, ah, well, right. you know, they're going to figure out <laughs> a two pitch combination and they did. And then he added two more pitches. So just all the credit in the world to him. Um, He's becoming a truly, truly like dominant force. I think it's pretty hard to argue that he is, you know, one of on a performance right now level, one of the top 10 pitchers in all of baseball. It's extremely difficult to argue. He's not, you know, he's got to add a little bit of a resume before he gets into that conversation on the whole. Uh, But he's, yeah, he's there right now. He's doing it and doing it well.
1: Even just a few weeks ago, I, I think we were generally talking about him as a potential two or three starter in a good rotation. Um, yeah. And and uh, there's still a lot of evidence that over time, he will probably be more of a two than, a, than an ace in a lineup or in a rotation, just because, uh, like Eli was saying earlier, the fact that he had never gone more than seven innings is – kind of something that you would not expect out of an ace but maybe I mean maybe he has changed and maybe he is ready to uh sustain this level maybe not this level but a a little below this Uh, maybe he is ready to be an ace in a rotation but I think that is still uh we still have to see about that but he definitely can be a two and easily a three in any rotation at this point
0: Right. Let's talk about what his future kind of looks like, because we did touch on it a couple of weeks ago. It's gotten brought up naturally again this last day or two because he's gotten to this level where the Orioles aren't quite ready to win yet. But he is the type of pitcher that right now any team in the league would want in the rotation. And if he's not your ace, he's probably your number two regardless. So, you know, let's lay it out. He's got three additional years of team control following 2021. The Orioles probably aren't going to be good this year, probably won't be good next year, but could be good in that that third or, or that second and third year of, of Means' team control. What do the Orioles do with Means? Does it make sense to shop him around right now, shop him around in the offseason, talk to him about a contract extension? Jesse, like if you had to make a decision, if you're Mike Elias and you have to make a decision over the next six months of what to do with John Means, where are you leaning?
1: Yeah, I'm even more compelled to – Basically, I know this is going to be heartbreaking, but basically (laughs) to trade him as soon as possible. Wow! Now, obviously, there's no pressure on the Orioles to do that and obviously wait for the right exact offer that we're looking for. Um, But right now, his value is sky high. And at this point, there's only really one direction it can go uh, down. And uh, I, I think there is probably going to be more value um, as from the Orioles perspective, um, there's going to be more value in trading him than keeping him around. Um, you know, he is a left-handed pitcher. He is a little older for a left-handed pitcher. So there could always be, uh, concerns about health or something like that, uh, a little down the road. So I think the, maybe not at the trade deadline, but Most likely, I would say at the end of the year. But I I definitely think at this point, the Orioles should be thinking about shopping them just because as we were kind of talking about a few weeks ago, the timeline just doesn't quite add up from the Orioles perspective. And um, I I mean, the Orioles would get we we would get a, a ton of future really good pieces probably. Um, in any deal that we that we were uh, to execute trading him now so I definitely think that uh, just because of where he's at right now because he has been so dominant because he does look like an ace right now the Orioles should definitely be entertaining this idea
0: now could uh, Eli I'll get your take in just a second but now could your opinion Jesse be changed if you know during the minor league season you see Adley Rushman tearing up double a you see DL Hall Grayson Rodriguez are on the fast track for the big leagues. And then you're going to be able to pair all these guys together sometime next year. And, you know, the Orioles have a good shot at 85, 90 wins with that, you know, that's, that's extrapolating a bit, but if you see a minor league season develop where the Orioles prospects are all on the upward trajectory, could you say, all right, maybe we'll hang on to means and see what we do these next three seasons. Is that possible?
1: I think it's unlikely just because very good double A seasons don't necessarily translate to good major league seasons for one. And, and, it's just a big, big risk to assume that these guys are going to be ready to perform and ready to be great in their first season in the major leagues when they come up. So I, I'd be very cautious about that. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I'd be very cautious about making those kind of judgments based on even their double A performances.
0: Okay, Eli, I'll go to you now for kind of what you think the O should do with Means. It's interesting Jesse says he'd be cautious because that is,
2: <laughs> in my eyes, whether the Orioles trade John Means at the deadline or at the end of the season is entirely dependent on where they see that minor league system. To me, if the Orioles think that we can field a competitive team in maybe four years, then I think they try to extend John Means. Uh, at that point, he's 32 years old. He's probably on the back end of his prime, unless he like pulls a Jacob deGrom and adds five miles an hour over the next couple of years. But he's probably at the back end of his prime, probably is still a pretty valuable pitcher and can help stabilize the rotation of the DL Halls and Grayson Rodriguez's. I think that if the Orioles, for whatever reason, think that we're still missing a future piece or two, that you know, they don't have confidence in getting from the free agent market, that they don't have confidence in acquiring some other way. I think it becomes a situation where John Means gets traded and that really sucks. But these are the kinds of decisions that the front office has to make in such a way that they remain neutral, remain unbiased, and they have to make the tough decisions. Thankfully, I'm not going to be the one making it. Um, But John Means, his value right now as Jesse said, is probably about as high as it will ever be if he continues this through up to the trade deadline. Um, we were talking in the Birdland tonight, little group chat, a little bit, and somebody brought up the Blake Snell trade as a comparison. Snell, a former Cy Young winner, had three years and like I think it was thirty-nine million left on his contract. They were talking about how that was a underwhelming return, but even with it being a somewhat underwhelming return for him, they still netted Luis Patino, who is you know, a top 30 prospect in all of baseball throws 100 miles an hour with a wipeout slider. So it's impossible to argue that there will be no value in a John Means trade. We will get some very, very legitimate blue chip prospect ready to almost plug and play into a major league lineup. That being said,
0: Mm -hmm.
2: like John Means' story, the obvious, you know, dedication to his craft, the progression from absolutely a no-name prospect to a frontline starter in the MLB, at,
1: I want him around.
2: I love the dude. And if he stays in black and orange for the rest of his life, mm-hmm. I will not complain.
1: The one thing I just want to add to that is, um, like, just just for reference, I think it'd be useful. If, if Means' value at the deadline or at the end of the year stays consistent and it doesn't it doesn't drop from roughly where it is right now, we're looking at... a a Manny Machado type return if not more than what we got from Machado I'd say more yeah I I would think more because you have them several years I'd say significantly more right three years years. right so um yeah so just for reference I think that's important to keep in mind kind of what the Orioles would be getting back for for means in this situation From that trade, just to recap, I mean, we got Dean Kramer,
2: who is a starting, you know, a starting rotation option right now. We got Yusniel Diaz, who is, you know, if we didn't have so many, like, interesting guys at the major league level already, he'd probably be in the bigs as a corner outfielder. We got some pieces from that deal, for sure.
0: So when I wrote for Camden Chat a couple weeks ago about kind of what means his future uh, holds, this was obviously before he threw the no-hitter, but I compared what a potential return would be to what Joe Musgrove went for from hmm. the, the Pirates to the Padres. Now, Musgrove threw a no-hitter earlier this season. He's, got, he's 28 years old. He's, I think, three months y- older than Means and has one fewer year of team control remaining. But the Pir- Pirates ended up getting four minor leaguers plus big league reliever David Bednar in return. And the best of the prospects they got was a teenage outfielder named Hudson Head, who not a top 100 guy, but is like a, a decent outfield prospect now in the Pirates system, I think. So that wouldn't blow me away. So if they got something, offered something similar to that, I'm not interested. Although I think Means has at this point elevated himself above where Joe Musgrove is. But those two do have some similarities as far as where they are in their careers right now. My thing with the whole situation is when you're trading a John Means, you're hoping if John Means is this good, actually, you know, maybe not this good, but a three ERA guy, sub three ERA guy, you're hoping the trade that you get back has a John Means in it, essentially. You're hoping you get an ace back and then you're hoping to get something else too. I I don't think the Orioles drafted Adley Rutschman and Hudson Kerstad, you know, two college bats if they didn't think they were going to be competitive in the next three years. You don't draft college hitters, college pitchers if you don't think you're going to get somewhat competitive soon. So I i don't think he gets traded this year at all. I think, I think getting traded this during the season is off the table. I don't see that happening maybe in the off season, if the Orioles aren't happy with their minor league development, but I right now I'm more leaning towards talk to him about an extension, see what he wants. You're going to be buying out three years of arbitration. So you're not going to be paying $25 million a year for those first three years. Then you're going to be talking about another two years, three years, maybe where then you're going to be thinking about 20, $25 million a year. So I don't think the money is going to be as crazy as, you know, if he was a twenty eight year old free agent pitcher who then wants $300 million. So I don't think the money's as wild as some people would think would be for a guy like this. And I'm not convinced that the trade return is worth what you'd be giving up in what is maybe the first ACE that the Orioles have had since Mike Messina left 20 years ago. So that's where I'm at. That that can definitely change and fluctuate as the season goes, of
1: course. Yeah. And, and to, you know, to acknowledge kind of what you're saying, there is a symbolic point to it too, right? Is that you you kind of want to, keep this guy around. You definitely want to have a guy like John Means that the Orioles really cultivated and found his talent in a sense. Um, this is the sort, sort of like Trey Mancini. This is the kind of guy that you want to keep on your team. And trading him would definitely be, you know, one of the more just business-oriented decisions um, that an organization can make. But they're decisions organizations make all the time. Well, and that's a whole
0: other element is about if he's a development piece, like maybe the Orioles are turning into like a pitching factory. I don't know. And maybe they're going to get, there's more John Means is out there, but I'm not, I'm not convinced of that just yet.
2: Yeah. Tyler, to your point about the college bats though, I I mean, you say, if you're not anticipating within two, three years, but I don't fully buy into that because players really hit their prime when they're probably 26 or so. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, you know, 26 to 28 is usually where it is. So those guys still have a good four years until they hit that point. And I definitely, you know, I think you can draft a college bat and expect him to, you know, expect him to be up in two years or so, but expect him to really hit his stride in four. And from that point, that's when you expect to compete. That's that's kind of the timeline I look at. So, you know, John Means with three years of control left after this, it doesn't perfectly line up, you know, it's very close. And like I said, I think John means as a 32 year old will still be a productive pitcher. And I think, you know, it would be worth keeping around, but I think it's kind of contingent on whether those guys are progressing on that four year track, so to speak. Again, I want the guy around. I don't want to be the one who's saying, ah, nah, get rid of him," you know, but I think there's a good chance that some contender this year will take a look around and say, all right, we need a bottom tier team with a top level pitcher that we can pry somebody away from to get us through the finish line here. And John Means fits that category. And there could be some really, really hot competition for him that could drive his price way, way up if the likes Mm. of you know the Yankees' pitching is always a problem. If the Yan- likes of the Yankees, the Red Sox pitching is always a problem. Like, I'd hate to trade them within the division even more. Yeah, that gets dicey, right? But <laughs> <laughs> and and I would be one of the fans screaming bloody Mary, you know, calling for Elias's head if they did that. But it might still be the right move, um, especially if there's a bit of a an auction block for him.
1: And we did trade Britain to the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, a closer it's in the different. last year of team
0: control, yeah, it is different. No, I mean, I think Michael Elias should definitely listen to offers. There's no harm in in doing your due diligence. And if they ultimately trade him, I'll certainly trust Elias at the time, but Michael Elias will also be staking a lot of his reputation on that trade. For because sure. you deal an ace from a rebuilding team, there's a lot there. And it worked out for Andy McPhail. Well, it didn't really work out for Andy McPhail because he was gone before the parties <laughs> were good. But they got to important pieces for a long time in the uh, adam jones eric bedard chris tillman trade so we shall see i'm on the fence I'm, I'm on the side of extension right now you two are on the side of trade and i totally understand that and i'm not sure that- i'm on
2: the side of trade i want to correct that i
0: okay i, I
2: like <laughs> i feel like i need to play devil's advocate because nobody wants to say he should be traded but mm-hmm. i think in the grand scheme of things i am team extension <laughs> jesse's jesse's like i I basically (laughs) said that yeah yeah i i I don't know i i just i don't want to get my hopes up for an extension and i don't want to be disappointed if they trade him. and so i'm looking at all the reasons they could trade him and it seems plausible in my mind i don't want that to happen though i want him to be an oriole for life
0: yeah all right well we'll, we're gonna bask in the no hit sun for a little while uh because i don't think john means is going to be traded at least for a month or two. So nice. let's, let's enjoy a we few more time. John Means starts. But let's stick on the trade train because I also wrote for Camden Chat this past week about who the Orioles' most obvious trade candidate will be. The Orioles, as we've said, probably not going to be competing for the pennant this year, likely to be sellers at the deadline. So who are they going to sell? I made the argument in the article that Matt Harvey is the most obvious trade candidate on the roster. So let's just start there. Jesse, do you agree that Matt Harvey is the most obvious. You don't have to extrapolate, but do you agree with that statement?
1: Um, that It's complicated, but I would be inclined to say yes at this point. Okay, and Eli, do you
0: feel the same way? Absolute, definite, yes. Okay, so all three of us are in agreement there. Then if, Jesse, I guess I'll go back to you since it's complicated. So <laughs> who, who are you waffling between Matt Harvey and who would be like the most obvious guy to get dealt this summer?
1: Right, so I think it would be one of these guys that, their contract is up at the end of the year. So the one guy that I probably would be inclined to think about is uh, Galvis. Now, we were talking just a little while ago about how thin uh, the Orioles infield depth is. And trading Freddie Galvis at this point would be a big hit to our infield. With that said, I think that Freddie Galvis, there are probably a lot of teams that could use him. Maybe a guy gets injured, their starting shortstop gets injured, they kind of need a short term solid replacement that they can rely on to play throughout the rest of the year. So the one thing I would say is that I I think in order for something like this to happen, the Orioles are going to have to have a plan for who's going to take over at shortstop. If he were to be traded, whether it's Richie Martin, who makes a lot of progress, and they think he's ready. I hope they don't, but whether they stick Vileka over there and just decide we're going to suck it up, you know, something along these lines, the Ori- so the Orioles are going to have to kind of create a plan. And I think they're not really prepared at this moment to trade Galvis, but I can see him being uh, a desirable piece at some point, particularly if there is an injury, uh, maybe if by the time of the deadline. There's going to be, they're starting a starting shortstop somewhere is going to be out for a month or month and a half, something like that. And they need someone to come in, play every day, and then maybe be a backup when their starter returns. So I can definitely see a scenario like that where if Galvis were to, were to get dealt, it would just be a matter of the Orioles saying, okay, this is the deal that makes sense for us we are going to patch together shortstop and make it through the season without hmm. being pitiful over at the shortstop position. And the team is willing to offer us something good enough where the Orioles are willing to, to make that exchange.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense that, you know, an expiring contract would be one to go. My, my, my thing with front with, not Franco with Galvis is nobody else really wanted him prior to the season. He's making like what a $1 million dollars, $1. 1.5 million dollars. That's not typically what, a team pays a, a shortstop that they think can contribute. So I'm not so sure any team could have had him this off season for nothing. Why would you trade prospects for him now? But um, Ila, I'll go to you for maybe your take on, on Galvis, but also maybe why you do think Matt Harvey is the most easily or most obvious trade candidate on this roster.
2: I think I'm kind of with you, Tyler, on Galvis. I think Jesse's point about somebody getting hurt, mm-hmm. it, you know, is a potential just because Galvis does play every day, but That being said, you know, Jesse said this too, to his credit. I don't think we'd get anything valuable back. And I don't think it would be worth piecing things together at the end of the season. I think it's worth keeping the stability there. And I mean, there's not going to be a bidding war for Freddie Galvis. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I'm on the team of Matt Harvey. I definitely think that pretty much unequivocally starting pitching is what is most valuable at the deadline. You have five starting pitchers that can get hurt as opposed to one shortstop. So chances are you have somebody struggling with an injury throughout the season. Chances are your number five just isn't doing that great. Something like that is much more plausible. And Matt Harvey has been okay. And if you can give somebody okay to just round out a rotation, give that bullpen an extra inning of rest every week, that's really valuable. And so I think that Matt Harvey will go. I think it's almost impossible to argue that he's going to be around all year moving to somebody else I think that Michael Franco is probably the next guy up Um, I think that he you know he doesn't necessarily have an impact bat but he has a bat that can play in most lineups when he's performing you know we talked about the like 106 WRC plus last year that's solid you know you can plug that bat into pretty much any lineup and have some success with it he's on a pretty cheap contract And the Orioles do have some corner depth that, you know, we could just throw Rio Ruiz back in there and not really be any worse off for it.
1: The thing about that, that I would say is that, well, as far as Harvey, the one thing that would uh, make him not a trade candidate would be him getting injured. That's basically like Eli saying, the only thing I could see getting in the way of the Orioles dealing him. But as far as uh, Franco, I mean, the thing about Franco is I feel like Only a contender would be really be trading for Franco. And I just kind of wonder whether Franco is up to par for what a contender would be looking for in a starting third baseman. And he doesn't seem like a guy that is going to be a backup or a utility guy. So I just kind of have a little difficulty seeing Franco being of of strong interest to a contender. The thing that I'll say about that is usually you aren't, at the date at the deadline
2: trading out of desire you know what i mean like it's usually yeah. yeah usually if you're a contender you're trading out of need you know this is a hole here and we need to plug somebody in and somebody who is six percent better than you know the league average hitter is a pretty that i, I wouldn't say like appetizing per se but a pretty like you know, it's acceptable to give up something to plug somebody in who's 6% better than league average, if he is living up to that by the time we get there.
0: Yeah, I'll say what's kind of interesting about the discussion is one, usually the most easily movable piece on a roster is like a bullpen guy, just because every team needs a reliever, but the Orioles don't really have any relievers that you would obviously move like Cesar Valdez is like, oh, he's a 36 year old, you could move him, but he's only got like one year of big league time, right? So he's got a ton of team control left. So the Orioles might as well keep him. Sean Armstrong would probably be like the most obvious guy t- like service time wise, but his era is like 11. So I could see Sean Armstrong going if he like gets it together a little bit and can have like a four ERA and be like a serviceable middle relief pitcher. He's e- that'd be easy enough to like deal. But what I'm kind of surprised we haven't talked about is Trey Mancini because there is sort of a, not, not a problem at first base, but Ryan Mancastle's had issues in the outfield Dioros clearly won his bat in the lineup. I think he's too young of a guy to be a full-time DH. And I think he's shown that he can play a serviceable first base. While Trey Mancini is, you know, a really good hitter, professional hitter, long track record. I think he seems to have gotten over his early season funk a little bit. He's starting to hit the ball pretty hard and with some, with some authority. and has an additional year of team control left, but that's kind of a nice little package to, to get dealt to a team or, or that a team would want is, you know, we got this guy for the playoff push. We've also got him next year to be our starting first baseman, DH, kind of, uh, you know, because I think by next year, every team will have the DH. I think the NL teams will have DH, all that stuff. So what do you guys think the odds are of Mancini going at the deadline? Eli, do do you, what do you think? I think that his odds are hurt by the fact, and as terrible as this
2: is, by the fact that he missed all of last season. I think that teams are going to look at him and see somebody who will probably fatigue towards the end of the year. Um, just because of the zero workload. And, you know, beyond even just, he wasn't playing baseball, he probably wasn't working out, you know, he probably wasn't running as much. Couldn't work out. Yeah. Right. Right. So his body to an extent is still healing, is still getting back up to full strength. And I think that these 162 game seasons are extremely brutal. You know, people always talk about uh, baseball being a war of attrition. And I think that I think the teams will be a little bit hesitant because of that. I think that if Trey Mancini becomes uh, who he was in 2019 and performs at that level all year, then I think he's a name popping up in trade rumors all over uh, throughout the offseason. Jesse, you have anything to add
0: there?
1: No, I, I think what he's saying makes a lot of sense. The one other thing I would say is he's a little bit inflexible to have as a guy, kind of like the Orioles are experiencing. Uh, right now with him he's somebody that you have to know you are going to utilize at first base you probably don't want him in left field Um, so Mm -hmm. you need him either to be a first base or DH type and the question kind of like Eli saying is is the bat going to hold up next year he's getting a little better hitting uh, but he started off the year really struggling um, with the bat so the question is is the bat going to be having sufficient production for a first baseman and can we rely on that and know that he is going to produce if we put him in the lineup every day at first base. And I think that there are a lot of questions maybe that he has to answer either this year or up to the deadline before he gets dealt. But if, if he can really hit and if he can really show himself, I think it gets more possible. I just think a lot of teams are going to have a lot of question marks about that. And when they're trading for a guy like Trey Mancini, they need to be sure that he can be reliably their first baseman every day and hit them 30 or 35 home runs.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Trade stuff's going to be going on for the rest of the year or two, 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 three more months. Uh, We'll definitely keep tabs on it. So let's get away from the trade stuff and talk about something that's back in our lives for the first time in like 18 months Minor League Baseball is back. For those who weren't paying attention, the Frederick Keys are no longer an Orioles affiliate. They have been replaced basically by the Aberdeen Ironbirds, who moved up from short season A, which no longer exists. So the Ironbirds are now the Orioles advanced A affiliate. Everything else is the same: Triple A Norfolk, Double A Bowie, and then Low A Delmarva. So, guys, with that said, We've seen the rosters, or at least I've provided you a link to the rosters of each of the minor league teams. Is there one roster in particular, obviously these are going to shift around as the year goes, but sitting here on May 6th, is there one roster in particular that you are especially intrigued by?
1: I mean, I think we all have to be intrigued by the roster that has Adley Rutchman on it. So well, yeah. it's probably going to be double A, the Bowie team. But yeah, I mean, of course, it'll be really fascinating to watch uh, Adley Rutschman play. Uh, they also have D.I.L. Hall, which is, you know, really exciting to watch and to see how he progresses this year. So if, you, if I had to uh, say one, I would definitely say double A.
0: They got Kyle Bradish too, who the player oral player development guys are like very excited about. Um, mm-hmm. Eli, are you are you on the buoy train or somebody else you're hyping up? Yeah, you come to podcasts for hot takes, but I do not <laughs> have a hot take here.
2: Um, I, yeah, I mean, seeing DL Hall come out and strike out ten dudes and four and a third and fir- in his first start, it's impossible to not look at that and Rutschman and see that Double A is kind of where where the future really is. You know, we have a lot of depth at AAA. We've been talking about the pitching depth that the Orioles have at AAA. And that'll be fun to watch for that sake. But when you look at the upside of the Orioles farm system, it lives at AA. And that's the the front of the wave, so to speak and it's impossible to ignore that. That's exciting.
0: For sure. There's a lot to like in in Bowie. If I were to pick sort of like a runner-up, I would say Delmarva, just because the infield there is very... I agree. I agree. I mean, you've got legitimate prospects in Gunnar Henderson, Darrell Hernays, Anthony Servidio, and Jordan Westbrook all in the infield. It seems like what they're doing is basically having... Westberg and Henderson kind of man short and third base and Servidio is kind of playing a little second base where they're all natural shortstops, so that's pretty cool and then Hudson Haskins also in the outfield who was a draft pick out of Tulane um, just last year so a lot to like they're not as much pitching in Delmarva but yeah I'm just excited that minor league baseball's back and that Aberdeen is in advanced a now because Aberdeen's probably like the closest to Baltimore affiliate and it's a really cool stadium so I'm excited about that as well
1: go ahead I was just going to kind of confirm your point that, I mean, AAA, like most AAA teams has all the kind of the depth of the, uh, the major league roster, you know, it's kind of more veterans and older guys. Um, And, you know, there's Fernando Abad there. uh, There's Josh Rogers there. uh, Evan Phillips is there. So, and Austin wins. So, Sounds very boring so yeah, far. Yeah, yeah, right, right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, Just be
1: locked in on nobody. Well, that, him. well, that, well, that's what I'm trying to point out is that that's why you know right. the AAA uh, roster is not nearly as exciting as Double for instance. So well, I mean, they do have used you know there's also Diaz Keegan Aiken, and, and, Zach Wilson, well, right, right. you know, and, and Diaz. There are
2: plenty of exciting yeah, guys there. Right, right, right. And, right, Alex Wells. Right, and Bannon Jones, Martin
1: McCoy. Yeah.
0: Like th- these are all dudes who are right. pretty close to the MLB level for sure. Yeah, AAA has got its own flavor. Those are guys that are going to be in the big leagues probably this year or very soon after. Um, but if there's like one, maybe, you know, we've talked about in the past, the, the non-top 100 players we're interested in this year. But if there was like a player or maybe even a storyline throughout the minor leagues, the Orioles minor league system that you're going to be paying the most attention to this summer, what would that be? Uh, Jesse, you seem eager to answer the question.
1: Uh, I mean, I I guess the only thing I would say about that is uh, Rutschman and the pitching, and that's basically it. I mean, uh, that is what the Orioles are relying upon for the future. Um, That's really what the Orioles need to come through in the minor league system more than probably anything else uh, at this point. Of course, there are some key position players that we need, you know, we need to produce, of course, but... Mm -hmm. Overall, the bulk of our prospects are pitchers, and that's definitely what the Orioles and Oriole fans should be paying attention to.
0: Okay. Eli, anything uh, different from you?
2: Yeah, I'm along the same lines. I'll take it a little more specifically though. I I think that this is the first year that DL Hall and Grayson Rodriguez are a established prospects and B old enough to really progress through a system.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, you know, in previous years, they were in 2020, not playing minor league baseball or in 2019, both still pretty young guys. Um, I think that this year is the year that we can really see like the the pitching pipeline, as we always talk about. We can see that really start flowing. And I think, uh, you know, seeing uh, Rodriguez start in high A, that was good to see for me and seeing I, I didn't actually expect D.L. Hall to start in double A either I expected him to start in high A so um seeing both of those guys seeing what they can do over a full season I'm really really excited for
0: yeah and they both have already pitched and were really really good D.L. Hall exactly. is striking out everybody and also looks like a complete dirt bag but like in a good way Dude. if that makes sense he, he grew that <laughs> hair out so long It looks good. Yeah. Uh, And what I'll support it. uh, What I'll be looking for is just how minor league managers and I guess their big league organizations sort of manage the playing time of these young guys because didn't play it all last year. I mean, they obviously played games, they played in the fall and stuff, but how they sort of manage these guys that don't have a full season in their back pocket. And we're already seeing that. Like I think DL Hall only threw four and two thirds innings, even though he was cruising, you know, they're not going to throw 120 pitches. So just uh, keep an eye on that as well. Kind of staying on the youth train, let's talk about some more pitching. So the Orioles a couple of weeks ago um, had demoted Dean Kramer. He wasn't pitching particularly well, but he wasn't demoted for performance. It was more of a load management type of situation. They've now done something similar to Bruce Zimmerman, although, again, he's had a couple rough starts in a row. But, again, just demoted for, for load management. They've got off days. They don't need a fifth start at the moment, et cetera, et cetera. So what do you guys think about this sort of approach to the Orioles kind of not coddling, but sort of looking out for and taking care of their young pitchers? Uh, Eli, I'll probably go to you first. Are you kind of in favor of, of this, this solution to kind of what we just talked about with a lost season last year or, or, a, you know, shortened season. What do you think about this approach the Orioles are taking?
2: Yeah, I fully agree with that. Um, I, I think that when you look at the health of a pitching staff as a whole, You know, if you go out there and you say these are our five guys and you try to just ram them through the season and expect them to be able to go from, you know, 70 innings that they threw last year to 160 or so, uh, you're just inviting problems. Uh, You're inviting injuries. And while these guys are still developing to an extent, I see no reason to really push them that hard. And I think it also serves as a little bit of a mental break for Uh, Kramer and Zimmerman, because they were struggling a little bit, give them a moment to reset, give them a moment to get their body right, give them a moment to get their mind right, and
0: bring them back up when they're ready. Simple as that. Jess, do you see any uh, downsides to this approach?
1: No, not exactly. Uh, The only possible thing is something we talked about last week is just with the consistency and letting them get kind of stay in their routine and their flow. But we see, I mean, Kramer had a good start against Seattle, six innings, one run, just one solo shot uh, that was hit off him. So it seems like it was a good plan for Kramer uh, at least so far. But no, in terms of the consistency part, I don't even think that's a big issue. Exactly like Eli was saying, you need to find spots throughout the course of a season where you can give pitchers a break, right? And this is the Orioles taking advantage and finding a spot in their schedule where they're able to do that. We might see this a little more coming up because as you were talking about uh, to us, Tyler, uh, the Orioles have a bunch of Thursdays off coming up in a row. We might see a little bit more of this Uh, These pitchers have options, of course, at this point in their career. So the Orioles, they're taking advantage of them. As long as it it doesn't get wildly inconsistent and sporadic where they're up and down and up and down and up and down. If they do it every once in a while, once every couple months, something along those lines, or I I think there's no real problem with that.
0: Something else that's kind of worth considering as part of this whole situation is I believe the five-man travel squad is going to be a thing for the entire year, because I I think AAA rosters are like 30 or 31 guys this year because it accounts for those five-man travel squads. So there's a chance that these guys get demoted and they are still with the team, with the Orioles the entire time, because they'll technically be with AAA, but they'll also technically be with the Orioles. So I think, you know, you'll see what I think Dean Kramer went down and threw like a three-inning appearance in the alternate site or whatever. I think you'll see a lot of that type of stuff where they'll be down, but not really down for very long and and they'll just bounce back after a week or two. Now, of course, when you get demoted, you do have to stay down for 10 days unless there's an injury, but, you know, there there can be some funny business there as well. So, good stuff. Okay, let's talk about the second base situation. We we've, we've touched on this in the past, but it's kind of continuing to be a problem. The Orioles, as we've said, aren't necessarily the best team in the world, but you need to have a competent player at each position on your roster and I think you could make the argument right now that they do not currently have a competent second baseman on the roster. Uh, Ramon Urias and Rio Ruiz have shared the responsibility. Both of them have been OPS under 600. Urias at 527, Ruiz at 576. Pat Vileka, on the other hand, has come on recently, 7 for 19 over the last seven games. And Jemai Jones just went three for four with two triples and a home run in Norfolk on Wednesday. So, what are the Orioles to do about the second base job? Are they, should they stick with what's going on? Should they give it to Valleca? Should they check in on Jones? Uh, Eli, what are your thoughts on, and what the Orioles should do with this second base uh, issue?
2: It's kind of funny. You know, we had this discussion when Yomer Sanchez was let go. And we all said, oh, yeah, I mean, just give it to Pat Valeka. It makes the most sense. And here we are again. Um, <laughs> I don't really know how it happened. Uh, we all like laughed at Rio Ruiz moving over there and we all like gave him his props when he made a couple nice defensive plays, but here we are and Rio Ruiz is still Rio Ruiz. And yeah, Orias is like, you know, he's still developing of course, but he clearly is not at the point where he's an everyday major league player. I'm for I, I I think we know what we have with him. We know he's got a little bit of pop throw him back in there, like just let things stabilize. I'm all for leaving Jemai Jones down for another month or so, but I definitely expect to see him in the infield mix within, or by the time the trade deadline rolls around.
0: Okay. Now, before we started, or or Jesse, you might've said it earlier in, earlier in the show. I'm not sure. You said you're ready to see Jamai Jones. So are you saying Jamai no, Jones no, come no. up tomorrow? I'm in,
1: I'm in, I'm in complete agreement <laughs> with what Eli was saying. Yeah. I, I didn't say it on the show. Okay. I said it before the show, but I am ready to see him um no but yeah i i think it i think it needs to take a month or a month and a half let him prove himself down in the minors you know he he didn't play any minor league baseball last year i think it'd be good for him to kind of get into a little bit of a routine and then get promoted so yeah definitely not tomorrow um and if, again it's more about the prospect than it is about filling the immediate need for the Orioles, right? It's more about what is doing mm-hmm. what is good for Jamai Jones rather than what is good for the Orioles winning more games at this point. So if he needs a month, which I think would be good, give him a month down in the minors. But then yeah, bring him up. I mean, it's it's at a point where I don't think we really there's there's not much more we really need to see between uh, Ruiz um, and probably Urias at this point he hasn't had a lot of a lot of time really to to prove himself uh, but he definitely hasn't seized the opportunity um, and we have a really exciting prospect in the minors that we're excited to see and uh, I, th- I think uh, soon it'll be time to to give him a, a, him an opportunity.
0: Going back to Vileka for a second, I think, you know, he struggled early in the year with the Orioles, but I think the reason for that is exactly what we saw last year where he really succeeded when he got to play every single day. I think he's just one of those guys that needs to be in the lineup Six days a week, five days a week, to really to really get a a feel for what's going on, and he doesn't really succeed. He's fine bouncing around the infield or or the outfield or wherever, but he needs to get regular at bats. He can't be a bench guy that just comes on to pinch hit or sporadically. So I would rather see Valleca every day, obviously. And you know, if the Orioles can make the roster work right now with Valleca, Urias, and Ruiz on there, sure, go for it. I don't see the downside to it. But I think at some point there's going to be a pinch a pitching crunch or something that you're not going to be able to have all three of them on the roster at the same time and and once that time comes I don't think it should be Valeka that makes way I would rather it be Urias or Ruiz or whoever um and yeah I agree with you guys on on Jemai Jones let's see what he can do in AAA for for a month or two
1: well it, it, the other thing about having the three guys on the roster is you know they're so inflexible in their defensive abilities uh so uh I mean, Ruiz plays third a little bit, um, and you know, Urias can move around the infield a bit. But I think Valera can
0: play the corner outfield spot. Yeah, he's that's left true. Field a little but
1: bit. I mean, he's not—he's not good and I defensively. Think we, I mean, that's the thing. So no.
0: But they are but if, flexible. They're not good, yeah, but they yeah, are flexible. Okay. It's right, not right. like a Trumbo. This the, the, the Crunch where they had Trumbo and, you know, everybody they played right. first base and DH. So <laughs> right, it's a right. little bit better. So last week, uh, we, we always do guess that Oriole. And last week, the three hints were a left-handed middle relief pitcher with the Orioles from 2000 through 2004. Number two was after being DFA'd by the Yankees in 2005, the New York Post reported that he wasn't one of Joe's boys, quote-unquote, referring to Joe Torrey. And the third was he holds the major league record for most games pitched without recording a plate appearance. I only just tweeted that out uh, from the warehouse pod Twitter uh, earlier today. So (laughs) I don't think we had any responses, but Uh, Brady still got it brady dm'd (laughs) us on instagram he was really he was really
2: excited about the shout out last week so i figured we'd throw him another
0: (laughs) brady number two we need more people to respond brady you're the best we appreciate you very much um so yeah keep doing that and we'll keep shouting you out but the answer was buddy groom did i say that already i'm not sure but the the correct response was buddy groom mustachioed left-handed relief pitcher um, yeah, it was kind of a guy of our childhood. Jesse, I feel like you said you had not even thought about Buddy Groom until we brought it up last no, week. No, that was me. I had I, I just,
2: I, I knew the name, and if you would have said who was Buddy Groom, I could tell you, but there was
0: never an occasion <laughs> for Buddy Groom to pop into my mind, no. Buddy Groom is a guy that I like think about on occasion fairly regularly, actually. I do, just too. Just because he, was like, he yeah. was like a bullpen guy from our childhood that when I first started paying attention to the Orioles, he was there, I, and I think that He'll always be there. I think
1: his name too is kind of like That's memorable. True. Like it kind of sticks in your head a little bit too.
0: That can't be his actual name though, right? Right. I don't, let I me definitely. let me we I need to confirm this. <laughs> Buddy Groom. It's nice, name?
2: It, it's nice to think that you guys just have these quiet moments and you kind of look off into space and you say, Yeah,
0: Buddy Groom. You will That's never how I guess pictured that. You will never guess what his actual first oh. name is. Frederick? Wow. No. I'm I'm seeing
1: know. it too. It's Wedzel. What? Wedzel Gary Buddy Groom Jr. <laughs> How do you W E D S E L? What is yeah. that? Yep. yeah
0: It's like a Hansel and Gretel type of situation, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. It's it's like a fairy tale name. Yeah. Really? It's not a really I'd go by Buddy too. Although I might have just gone by Gary. Gary Groom. That, well, that kind of sounds like. You could I go, go to Wes. That makes That's sense. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Wes Wedzel. Wes. Okay. Anyway, Buddy
1: Groom. It sounds like your uh, parents might have just called him Buddy, you know, because it was like in quotes, like, I don't know.
0: Right. Well, yeah, it's definitely a nickname. I yeah. mean, I, I call my son Buddy sometimes. but <laughs> so, I Yeah. Uh, it's when they didn't want to say the name they actually gave him.
2: So they said, come here, Buddy. Buddy.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah you. <laughs> I, I cannot believe we wrote that on the birth certificate. Wetzel. <laughs> Shocker. That's All right. A- so this week, we'll give you three new facts about a former Oriole. Uh, And then we will tweet it out, or you can just DM us on Instagram and tell us who it is. And that's cool, too. Uh, So the first fact about this player is they played with the Orioles from 1999 through 2000.
1: They were a four-time Gold Glove winner prior to their time coming to the Baltimore Orioles.
2: And they were traded three times in 1998, including twice on December 1st the day he became an
0: Oreo. Mm. it's a little tougher because we didn't give a position this time we did yeah
1: they Jesse struggle was, with this
0: yeah jesse was guessing before the show and he couldn't even get it
1: well so i tough... got it on my second guess well I had it was to the second that... try but i
0: did give you the position of the person so no, that made true. it really right. Right. That helps. Right, right, right that helps
1: it <laughs> helped a lot
0: yeah it did but okay so those go go ahead
2: Eli I think I think after this we have spent a lot of time hitting the late 90s early 2000s hard and I think that was like nostalgia on our parts yeah we should expand because there are like 50 more years of Orioles baseball that we haven't even touched right we should We'll.
0: I think we'll just have to get like more you know more mainstream I think if we go to like the 70s or something you're not gonna be able to pick like a middle relief pitcher that tossed like 50 innings one year
2: you know i actually might be able to because let me throw this out that this is a bonus round for you guys uh (laughs) there was an orioles left-handed reliever who is still the only person in major league history to pick off three runners in one inning well i know that one i know yes well no no it's for it's for the fans okay we don't have fans we have listeners we don't have fans
0: (laughs) we have we have have friends
2: right acquaintances (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, yeah, but you said middle reliever and I was like, ah, they might actually be able to get this. Yeah. Well, that one's, that one's a pretty easy one, I think. And I think he was around, he was at the Oros for a long time. Yeah, definitely. So that's, that, that one I think is pretty mainstream. I would put that in the mainstream bucket. I agree. I have a picture with him. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I've, I've heard good things that he was a good guy. He is. All right. Uh, so we always predict the upcoming week as well uh Last week, we were all wrong. Eli and I both said they'd go three and three, and the Orioles actually went four and two. So we were happy to be wrong. That's so great. Two, two series wins. Jesse was way off. What did you say? Like one and five or something?
1: I don't think that bad, but uh, I think he said two, two and, and four. Uh, two yeah, and four. I thought, okay. Yeah.
0: Well, this coming week, the Orioles are at home, and then they go back on the road for a brief amount of time. They've got four against the Red Sox and Canyon Yards, which I'm so sick of playing the Red Sox. So. I'd be happy to be done with them for a I, while.
1: I, I won't be sick if we beat them. I mean,
0: well, yeah. yeah. Well, both series have been sweeps so far, so right. I think that, that trend will change. And they're
1: playing well right now, unfortunately.
0: Yes. And then the Orioles go to Queens to play two against the Mets. So thoughts, predictions? How how are the Orioles going to fare this week? Uh, Jesse, you
1: want to go? Sure. Uh, I'm going to say we're going to go four and two. I'm going to be four <laughs> Wow. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Whoa. I'm gonna be more optimistic. John Means is only gonna pitch once. Yes, and we're gonna go four and two. Oh my god! Yeah, that's bold. We're. Uh, the, I mean, the thing is, we're coming off the John Means, you know, excitement. <laughs> so I think the the Orioles are gonna be a little rejuvenated and and ready to play good baseball. No, but in addition to that, I mean, uh, the the Mets are okay, and uh, the Red Sox. Uh, I think we're definitely capable of beating. So, Um, Red
0: Sox are 19 and 13, top team in the AL East, and the Mets are 13 and 13, but that is good enough for second place in the NL East.
1: Right. Okay. So,
0: Um, Eli, thoughts?
2: I'll uh, I'll pull a little reverse and I'll say we're going to go two and four. I think we take one from each.
0: Wow. Okay. And I'll, I'll go in the middle, three and three. But I think that – I think we sweep the Mets and we only win one of the games against the Red Sox.
1: I, I, I'm thinking we're going to sweep the Mets too. Okay. Wow.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm not – Who I'm gives you an indication
2: the we're going sweep to the, sweep the Mets? I, I don't really get Jake,
0: that. Well, here's the thing. Even if Jacob DeGrom pitches, <laughs> we'll probably still win like one nothing because the Mets suck when he pitches. Yeah. It's incredible. Well,
2: I don't know. He usually gets an RBI or two when he throws. So
0: that's true. (laughs) That's true. And our pitchers will have to hit for two games, which will be weird, but that's what I'm going with. Okay, boys. Uh, What else? We don't have to really do anything else. We'll just tell people to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, You can go over to substack.com, thewarehousepod.substack.com, and you can join our email list and you'll get the podcast sent right to your inbox and you should also follow us on all the social media channels at The Warehouse Pod. Jesse, where can people follow you on
1: social media? People can follow me on uh, Instagram and on Twitter <laughs> at juggernaut8678. Uh, they can also email the show at TheWarehousePod at gmail.com. Yeah.
0: It's also, we should say, we're recording this and it's progressively gotten darker. And I know. I was, he's gonna, literally I was, in a cave. He's in a cave now. Jesse has just faded away <laughs> into oblivion throughout the course of this podcast. We can barely see his face. And a voice, a voice from the darkness.
1: <laughs> you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter.
0: <laughs> I am the juggernaut. Uh, Eli, what about you? Uh,
2: you can follow me on, gosh, what is it? Which one's which? On Instagram <laughs> at
0: Ginzy55 and on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg. Very good. And I am on both as well at underscore Ty Young and go over to CamdenChat.com for Orioles blog content. And also check out the folks over at Birdland tonight at Birdland Sports on all the different social media stuff. Check them out. They're doing good stuff. All right, guys. Well, next week we will talk about hopefully another John Means No Hitter, uh, the Orioles sweeping both the Red Sox and the Mets, and um, hopefully no more trade rumors. Cool. I like that. All right. Well, this has been the Warehouse Podcast. Until next time, I'm Tyler.
1: I'm Jesse. And I'm Eli. Let's go O's.
0: Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop.